Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, a pleasure once again to be back with so many wonderful singing voices uh, in communion with the saints on the, on the Lord's Day. We're teaching today from that text uh, out of the book of James. The last time I was here I taught uh, verses 1 through 18 of the same chapter and, and I, it, was a, uh, it was a venture for me. I was trying to teach from an ontological position. Um, and it's uh, less of an expositional way uh, format, but this is going to be just very straight expositional teaching today, so it should go smooth and, you know, you got to try sometimes. So uh, the book of James, as I read and work through it, I'm teaching through the book of James over the pulpit at our church, and I'm in chapter 2, but as I read through the book of James, uh, there are several different literary styles that are being used in the book of James, but one thing that is clear that... The, uh, the doctors of the church help us understand is the book of James is also written as a sermon. And that is, the, that is the literary style I favor in the book of James as I read through it. It feels like a sermon. And it has a flow to it like a sermon. And oftentimes I think our texts don't help us to feel that because we get caught up in verses and chapters and, and then the, uh, the publishers give us uh, little chapter headings, little subject headings in between, and they break it into pieces. And if you're not careful, you will miss the flow of the book of James. You'll miss the flow of a lot of scripture. You know, you'll notice a lot of chapters start with therefore. And that's not a chapter break. That's a, as a result, what I just said means this. But if we're not careful, we'll, we'll miss the therefore subject and we'll go to perhaps chapter 2 in whatever text where it says, therefore, and we'll miss the point. So if everyone says, well, I'm going to start with chapter 2 today, well, that's okay, but you just missed why you're therefore. So it's really important for us to be able to see a text as it flows off of the pen of the writer. Um, you know, I was sharing with my church last week, I said, uh, if this is a sermon and the book of James is canon then who's preaching the sermon? That's not a trick question. It's the Holy Ghost. So you could hear a sermon from some of your favorite preachers today, and I have a lot of them. But what a pleasure to hear a sermon from the Holy Spirit through the pen of the, uh, our brother James. So 
the, the, the book of James has that progressive flow. It, it doesn't naturally come with the breaks in the verses or the subject headings. So I want to demonstrate something, and I'm doing this pretty much every week with my church. So I have to, I have to do this in mirror mode. So this is, this is where the book starts, and this is, this is how it gets broken up when you open your Bible. But that's all chapter 1. So this is real small. You can't see it. We don't have an overhead, so I can't show you. But right here it says, testing of your faith. And that's verses 1 through 18. And then when you get to verse 19, it says, it's really small. It says, hearing and doing the word. Now, if you're not careful, you'll think you've moved on from this. And it's a separate subject from this. And they're not necessarily related. In fact, how many of us, when we read the book of James, you can go to subject after subject where they just, it just feels like he's just shooting at different things. Not necessarily tied together. I mean, I have always seen the book of James and said, oh, if I want to know about that, I just go to chapter 3. I can hear about wisdom from heaven or wisdom from this earthly. If I want to hear about taming of the tongue, I go there. And am I really sewing all that together and understanding why it's arranged the way it is, why it's tied together the way it is? So we're going to kind of exercise that a little bit right now before I get into the main... uh, the main uh, thrust of the message. So, be, so let's get into our introduction because that is, the, that is the moment that starts everything off. So like in the book of James, verses 1 through 18, that is the introduction to the rest of the book. It is often said that life is a conversation, but rather than a dialogue, it feels like a world full of voices, competing voices speaking over each other, competing to be heard. In the midst of that noise, there is one voice. Can we all guess who that is? A clarion call. It is the voice of a shepherd. He is the good shepherd, and only his sheep hear his voice. There's a cacophony of noise out there, but there is one voice that only his sheep hear. By his providential care, he speaks to us through trials of various kinds, working all things for the good of those who love him and are called by his name. And so in the first chapter of James, God speaks to us where the rubber meets the road, in the midst of our trials. And so that we are not left to our devices and despair, because that's what our devices bring, without hope or just plain frustrated with our circumstances. He gives us the roadmap to lead us from trials to triumph. So just imagine that the first chapter of James sets up the whole rest of the book. In fact, not even the whole first chapter, the first 18 verses. That is, that is, so like when we read the Bible, we always say the first 11 chapters of the Bible sets everything else in order. I would say the first 12, because the first 11 chapters lead us into Abraham in verse 12, uh, chapter 12 which sets up the whole of redemptive history. Well, the same thing is going to happen in in the book of James. If anybody's ever written an essay, if anybody has ever written a message to preach, you know that you're front-loading that message packed full of information, and the rest of the message is teasing that information out. And that's what's going to happen in James chapter 1. So I'm just going to quickly rehearse those first 18 verses, just real quick. We're just going to bullet point it so you can see what God is doing and why... We end up where we end up 
in verses 9 to 27. So in, in chapter 1, God gives us a purpose. Trials. He starts off trials of many kinds. Now, now, is this a new invention or is this where we live our life on a daily basis? I forget who I was talking to about that this morning. But trials are pretty much the daily occurrence in our life, whether they're small or big. And they're not special things that God has to create. They're part of the frustration that it speaks about in Romans 8 and 22. That God has subjected this world to frustration and we're a part of it. And so why would God leave us in the midst of that and what is the point? So God gives us the purpose of trials. They're not meaningless. Trials are not meaningless. It says in verse 4 that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's the purpose. In verse 5, he gives us provision. So we're in the cauldron. We're in the crucible. We're in trials that have a purpose. Because when you're in the trial, you feel like you're being bounced around. A confusion. You need answers. So what, is God going to leave us without answers? Or is he going to give us provision? He's a gracious, loving father, and he gives us provision. It says in verse 5, and I find this to be... um, well, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Now, who doesn't lack wisdom? I do. I need wisdom. I need it. But you know what I find funny about this verse that strikes me? Is James doesn't say, so when you're in trials, ask for grace and peace. He says, ask for wisdom. But when you're in a trial, don't you want something else? Like... But what do you really need the most when you're in a trial? You need wisdom. Because wisdom teaches you how to behave in the middle of a trial. It teaches you, it gives you the peace and the calm you need in the storm to know where the dock is, where the buoys are, where the lighthouse is. That's what gives you wisdom. You know, the wise old sailor who's out at sea in the midst of the storm while the waves are, are, are roaring to and fro, he's not worried, is he? He's like, argh, I've seen this before, lad. We're straight away to the buoy. That's called wisdom. You know what wisdom is? It's knowledge over time equals wisdom. It's called application of what you know becomes fruitful. So God gives us a purpose in trials. He gives us provision in trials. He gives us a promise as a result in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. God gives us hope. God doesn't leave us dangling. He says, hang in there. This is going to produce fruit that you can't even imagine. And and of course, you know, when you're 21, you believe that, but when you're 41, you understand it. And when you're 51, you go, been there before. That's, that, that, it only takes a lifetime, guys. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's all going to work out. It's all going to work out, right? Or is God lying to us? God is not a man that he should lie. It's going to work out. He says, and, and look, when you're tempted, that's not me. That's what he says. That's not me doing that. That's a you problem. And that's what I'm here to straighten out. So listen, I promise if you hang in there and you persevere, 
and you persevere, that you will receive a crown of life which God has promised to those who love Him. And what is the goal? What is the point? Where does this bring us to? It brings us to perfection. Ain't nobody in this room perfect, right? But everybody's fixing to be, right? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? That's almost so good, it's almost cocky to have it come out of my mouth. Like, one day I'm going to be perfect. It almost is beyond my ability to imagine. Like, I almost can't receive it. It's so sublime. It's, it's what we call glorification. So, in James chapter 1, verse 19, this is why God does this. Okay, so here you are. You're in the cauldron. You're in the crucible. You're in the storm. You're being rocked by every wind of doctrine that comes your way. And God says, ask for wisdom. It's funny that he says, if any of you lacks wisdom. That's a bit rhetorical. I lack wisdom. You lack wisdom. You do. Everybody in this room lacks wisdom. We need wisdom. I, I need with a capital N. I need wisdom. So when I tell my child that he needs my information, what's the first thing? In fact, I used to coach little kids from my daughter's school. She went to a little one-room class, one, you know, schoolhouse classroom where all the ages were mixed together. So I was, I was coaching little kids, five-year-olds up to 12, all in the same class. Now, that's not easy. And so I, I found that with these children, and I know that many in this room understand this, I had to get their attention every time I wanted to do anything. And I used to say, hey, listen up. Listen up. Eyes on the, eyes on the target. Eyes on the target. You see? So why do you think the very next verse, you see, God just set us up in the book of James. He says, this is the point. You're in a trial. I'm going to bring you to perfection. And the rest of the book of James is to tell us how to do it and what it looks like when we get there. Isn't that kind of seamless? It almost makes sense. I mean, and it also makes the book of James a lot less choppy. I'm just speaking from my experience, you know. So James chapter 1, verse 19 through 21 says, Know this, my brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. He says, what? Be quick here. That's the first thing he says. He says, hurry up and listen. Because we are terrible listeners. Let's all just come to that fact today. Now, I'm getting better at it. I've learned over the years that I like to listen to people's story. I like, as an elder, I have to shepherd people. And I have found over the years that the best thing I can do is sit and listen and ask lots of questions. If I come to the table with a lot of answers, I am shortcutting the process. It is my goal to sit and listen to you and hear your story. And not just as a, oh yeah, you got to listen to them, you know. 
No, that's important. That's the most important time of a conversation is when you shut up and listen. You slow down and listen. See, we say slow down and listen, and what God does, he says, be quick to listen. Hurry, hurry, run to slow down. In the Marines, they say slow. How do they say it? Slow is quick. Uh, and and uh, I forget. They, they have a little thing that basically if you slow down and take your time and aim, you'll shoot good. Don't be hurried to pull that trigger. Slow down, pace yourself, and you'll hit the target. We're terrible listeners. We are not quick to listen. We are quick to speak. If we weren't quick to speak, God wouldn't have to tell us to hurry up and listen. We are slow to listen and quick to speak. We're opposite world. Now what I find amazing here is in, uh, because we come to conversations with presuppositions. That's the problem. We come thinking we know everything. We've been working this conversation for days in our minds. Right? We've been thinking about that person. And we kind of got the situation scoped out so we know what we're coming to that conversation to produce. We know what we're fixing to solve. Oh, we got it down. And I've just learned that if I just wait and listen, well, maybe, maybe what I thought I need to be part of in this conversation is a little different than what it really is. Maybe that'll help modulate my position because I know I have all the answers can straighten him out. Or her out. But if I stop and listen, maybe I'm going to learn something that I need to be doing to be helpful in a conversation. Whether it be as simple as do you need two sugars or three, or there's issues in the home. Verse 20 says, so, so he says, uh, be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. Why, why do you think God says that? That's a, that's a funny thing to say. Be slow to anger. Why didn't, he say, why didn't he say be slow to speak, quick to listen, and then formulate good thoughts and communicate well? He said be slow to anger. You know why? Because we're angry people. We're sinners. We're sinners. Have you ever seen the movie Nemo and the crabs are at the bottom of the ocean? Or the lobsters going, mine, mine, rah, rah, rah. They're fighting each other. I promise you, you can take a sunny day and complain about it. You can take a good circumstance and get aggravated. You can be driving around the road, like somebody I know, and get aggravated. Because we're just sinners. We complain. If anything makes us uncomfortable, And we do it in conversation with people, too. We don't like what they said. We get defensive. We get defensive because we feel like we're being untrusted, accused, or there's something amiss. And that bothers us, and we're going to set that straight. It really bothers me that you misquoted me. It really bothers me that you think this way about me. And God says, don't do that. It says, be slow to anger. Put, uh, it says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I've been through this exercise in what I call home with what I call a wife and a daughter. And so I've noticed over the years, and we've had to intentionally exercise, you know what? Our emotions are not helping the circumstance at all. In fact, when our emotions become front and foremost, it ruins and cuts off communication. It ruins our ability to produce fruit. It ruins our ability, really, to get anywhere. 
And, and we have to step back and say emotions are not, not... In fact, my wife and I, and this, this is so rare because we're so perfect, we had, we had a fuss about a week and a half ago. Now, I will say the good news is our fusses don't last long now, and we get over them fast because we're done with wasting our time being stuck. And that's not because we're perfect. It's just we've, we've hit our head against the wall so many times that we've, you just learn. That's just what it is. You just learn. You know, you can kick the door and kick the door and kick the door all day. And if it ain't open, you're going to break your foot, and then you'll go, I ain't kicking that door no more. It's not like I'm a genius. <laughs> In fact, it's the opposite. It took me a lot of headbanging to figure out I wasn't going to break the wall with my head. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, okay, see all that self-examination there, all that stepping back and looking at the circumstance. Therefore, what is that word, therefore? To put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. So why are we getting all rid of that filth, those trials? That's what they're for. Because your filter is clogged. It's clogged with pride. It's clogged with anger. It's clogged with doubt. See, that's what happened in the garden. That's why shame entered the garden. Trust left the garden. Transparency was no more. And now it's all walls. It's walls. And only the very trusted get to see your walls. And even then, it's a negotiation. Even marriage is a negotiation. I'll give you this. You give me that. And over the years, we'll work really hard to kind of sort out the little stuff. And God says, get the filth out of your life and you let me handle your security. He says, receive with meekness the implanted word. What word is that? That's the wisdom we've been asking for. You know the wisdom is the word of God, right? It's not my ideas. It's not your ideas. The implanted word which is able to save your souls. Woo. So what is meekness? <clears throat> well, being slow to speak, before I move on, I just want to quote slow to speak, Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. So what is meekness? The definition, humbly, patient, or docile, as under provocation from God's word due to our own sin. Meekness will be one's necessary demeanor in order to move forward and to receive the implanted word. You're, you're not, you're not going to receive if you're not meek. In my own personal life, and particularly in the last 10 years, as I've been part of this church that I'm in now, that I'm now uh, serving on a, a session and shepherding people, and growing older in Christ, I've had this personal motto that I've developed, and it says, be patient, loving, and kind. I don't care what the problem is you're facing. I don't care what the issue is. That is going to go a long way. Be patient, slow to speak, with to listen, loving, hearing, and kind. Don't be quick to anger. Anger and emotions prohibit clear and objective thinking. It costs Moses the promised land. Numbers 20 and 11. 
And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. What a traffic jam. And it got the better of him. And water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. You know, it's because of that one incident of anger that Moses was prohibited from entering the promised land. You know, one moment of anger can cause murder. One moment of anger can cause bad words to come out. A thousand good words get swept under the rug with one bad one. A thousand kisses get wiped away with one hit from the slap of a hand. James 1, and 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in what he does. So let's exercise that for a moment. Verse 22, when we only hear and do not do, we deceive ourselves. Now, I'm not doing anything but reading what it said, right? So what is it saying? It says that when we hear only and we don't do, we deceive ourselves. Yeah, I get that, Kyle. Yeah, anybody can read that. Well, what does that mean? What it means is you're going through the rote. You're memorizing the scripture. You're coming to the church faithfully. Why, you have the best family worship in town. But you're not doing. And you're just deceiving yourself. All you're doing is getting the prep work done, but you're not getting the application in there. See, the the learning comes in the application. A picture or experiential knowledge is how we actually grow in Christ and become more like Him. It's the test laboratory. It's one thing to learn the Word of God. It's another to do it. And usually when we get to the doing section, we mess it up. Like there's try, try, try again. And we try, and that's, it's like marriage and family and conversations, you know? The hard work of communicating and wrangling with your brothers and sisters is what's necessary to grow, and you're going to blow it. You're going to say things you wish you hadn't said. You're going to do things you wish you, you wish you'd have just done it a little differently. But see, that's where you learn. That's where you learn. And I've been talking horizontally here. But what's the one voice we really need to slow down and listen to? Do you think God might be communicating? See, I I just did what I've done for years. You come to that text and you think this is all horizontal communication. I did it for years. But if you look back in the the first 18 verses of chapter 1 and the trial, there's a guy with a megaphone from on high speaking... And he's saying, listen, be a doer, not just a hearer. Now, that can feel very condemning and very like, oh, because you know why? Because so many of us are not doers. So many of us take so long to learn how to be doers. And look, I'm not, this could mean many things to many people. I'm not saying doing has to be Myanmar. I'm not saying doing has to be going down to the local whatever situation and getting involved. Doing could just be learning to shut your mouth in a conversation. 
doing could be controlling your emotions. You know, my marriage is so much better because we're doing. We're actually shutting up and listening and not yelling at each other. No, I've never yelled at my wife. That's never happened. I'm just saying for, for some of you people. <laughs> I have never yelled in my home. <clears throat> um, yeah, if you're passionate, you've probably yelled a bit. And I love passion. I mean, we go to a ball game and we sure yell a lot, don't we? It says in Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So this is, where, this is what happens to us in that verse. This, this is where we live, right here. Do not let this book of the law depart from you, but meditate on it day and night. And that's where it stops. We think that that's the thrust of that text. We think that that's the goal. Meditate on it day and night. Don't let it depart from your mouth. And when we complete that part of the process, we think, excellent, I did great. I'm an obedient child of God. I'm a good Christian, too. In fact, I'm a really good Christian. How many people actually do that? Is that what it says? Is that what the verse says? Or is that just the prep work? Do you understand that that's... You understand what I'm saying? This is all, all that is is it gets you ready for the doing. God didn't tell his people, just learn a lot. Just learn a lot. He said, learn it and do it and don't forget what you learned while you were doing and by the way, when you fall down flat on your face, get up and don't give me the discouragement that says, oh, I can't do it, I'm always screwing up. Well, maybe you are, but sooner or later you're going to get it right. That's where your pride comes in. You've got to get all your filth out, it says there in verses 19 to 20, 21. It says, so that... Why are we doing this? So that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. I'm not talking about money. Maybe we are. But I'll tell you what, in my home, my marriage is prosperous. I hope that doesn't sound like bragging, because it ain't. I'm so thankful. I've only been married uh, 27 years. And it's only, I'm just being honest, it's only in the last five to eight years that it's been getting smoother. A lot less turbulence. The doing could be nothing more than me shutting my mouth and listening to my wife when she has some things to tell me. Not just shooting answers at her and interrupting her. I've never done that before either. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Hebrews 5.14, I'm going to read it in two versions because I like the way it says it. In the ESV, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. If you want to distinguish good from evil, by constant practice. See, that's what doctors do. They go to school and then they have to practice their trade. That's what electricians do. They read a book, they pass a test, they know the code, but they don't know what they're doing, do they? 
They have to go out as a journeyman and actually learn what they're doing. I have a, I have a license to drive a semi, you know that? Who knew, right? And you go to school and you learn, and it takes a couple months, I guess. I forget how long it was. I think it was a couple months. But you don't really know how to drive a truck. I mean, you go out on the road and you drive it, and you pass tests, and you have to back it in and do, do really neat tricks with the truck. But companies hire you at the bottom. And they don't pay you top pay because they know you're still learning to drive. But strong meat, this is the King James, but strong meat belongeth to them that are full of age, even those who by reason of use, I, I love that. The King James Version is the one I like the most. By reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Evil. We're in, we're in uh, we as a human race don't like words like wicked, evil, demonic. But there's two kinds of wisdom, James will tell us in chapter 3. Wisdom from heaven and wisdom that's earthly, evil, and of the devil. I mean, that's, that's like driving it home. There's no middle ground in this world. There's evil and there's the holy. And you're on one side of that fence or the other and you're learning to become he holy or as it says in Revelation, you're learning to sin more. Let the wicked continue to sin and let the righteous continue to grow in righteousness. So, in verses 22 to 25, he's saying, look intently at the word. I like what Mark says. He says, why do we forget? Because we don't remember. And that's basically what he's saying. Don't just read it. Walk away and forget about it. You have to study intently now I'm not going to I'm not going to spend much time on on where it says uh, but the one who looks intently into the perfect law the law of liberty what James is telling us there is you're not looking into the law so that you can so that you can get all your ducks in a row you're looking into the law so that you can be crucified with Christ and get rid of the filth so that you can be gracious, loving, and kind at because you are now receiving the grace and the mercy of Christ. This isn't so that, listen, meditating on this book of the law is not to prop you up so you can feel holy and, you, and look at all those other people who don't do that. Look at all those other people who don't homeschool. Look at all those other people who don't have church as good as we do. And I'm telling you, you got some strong things in this church that I absolutely adore. But any one of us thinks that we're high and mighty because we got something going on. You do not understand the law of liberty and grace. You do not understand that God is doing things in you that you're not responsible for. You're tossed every, you're tossed in like waves in the sea. And if it weren't for God's wisdom speaking into your life, I don't care how good you got it together. You got things you got to learn, and that's why we need meekness and humility. It keeps us able to say, let's be patient, loving, and kind. So as we go into verse 26, the first section was listen. The second section, learn the word. The third section here, this third section of text, verses 26 and 27, is how to live it. So if you're listening and you're hearing, and you're studying the Word of God in meekness, 
What does it look like when you do that? What should it look like? Isn't it funny? Now, does it make sense now that James starts picking on things through the whole rest of the book? He starts picking on the tongue. He starts picking on uh, the law and works, the law and grace, which is chapter 2. He starts going after these individual areas and saying, we're going to tidy this up now. Um, we're not, we're, you know, to be honest, I could do this for the next three hours because this is really fun. And, and you know why? Because it doesn't stop. This is a sermon. This was read all at once to some people. And when I, when I finish chapter one here, you know what bothers me the most is I can't tell you what's coming in chapter two because just, I'm just here one day. But chapter two, believe it or not, and I mean seamlessly, is tied into chapter one. It's a dovetail. We're going to get to that in a second. I'm not going to preach on chapter two, I promise. But I am going to kind of tease you with it like a trailer in a movie. It says in verse 26, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So that's the second time he's related deception, self-deception, with the idea that we're not doing what we're learning. He says, if you, if you just hear but don't do, you deceive yourself. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious, he is religious and does not bridle his tongue. So if you think you're holy but you got a sin problem, you're deceiving yourself. Now, there's more to that bridling of the tongue, and he gets into that later. He's seeding the rest of the book in chapter 1, I promise you. He says, then you deceive your heart, and your religion is worthless. And basically, this is like the third commandment, that we should not take the name of the Lord in vain, and we should not blaspheme with our mouth. We should not, you know, your, I started this introduction with life is a conversation. And it's not just verbal, is it? It's how we act as well. So if our tongue is a mess and our lives aren't living up to what we do, first thing that should happen is it should humble you. It should cause you to say, I need to learn. You shouldn't walk into a room thinking you know everything and you got this solved and you're going to straighten these people out. Talk is cheap. That, if I was going to give this a, a, a little, you know, an idiom, a little colloquial phrase, if anyone doesn't bridle his tongue, your religion is worthless. That's, that means talk is cheap. Anybody can talk, but it's the doing. Religion. One definition that works is something one believes in and follows devotedly, a point of matter or ethics or conscience. So if you have a set of beliefs and ethics and conscience, that's a good start. That's a good start. But if that's all it is, your religion is worthless. Did I ever give you guys a title? Did you get a title somehow? The title of this message is Pure Religion. Pure Religion. I'm, I'm used to, at church, we have an overhead, and it'll put the title up there, so I don't have to do that. My apologies. I've been preaching to you for a long time. You don't even know what it's called. It says, <laughs> so James helps us out. He says, hey, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. He doesn't keep it a mystery. He says, all right, this is what it is. 
to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, I, I have this little thing I call ministries. I'm going to tell you, helping orphans and widows is not one of them. Right? There, there's, you know, the newspaper ain't coming by, or, you know, the mega church on TV, they're not like, and today, the widows and orphans. <laughs> right? That's not the glory ministry. Those are the helps ministries. Those are going to the meek and mild that nobody ever sees. You, you know what's not a glory ministry? Adopting children. That's not a glory ministry. Now, in my opinion, it's one of the most amazing ministries on planet Earth. Period. I have a guy back in Baton Rouge who's going to who, who is, who, we're about to start working together, do some stuff. He's got four children and seven adopted children. And, and he's in ministry. And he's been very successful in real estate, so he doesn't take a, a paycheck. And he knows that I'm operating in the sphere of ministry, so he wants to help me out doing some real estate stuff. But I have profound respect for this man and really feel honored that he wants to help me. But I, I have profound respect for him. He loves the Lord that he has four children and seven adopted children. I don't care what anybody says. I, I don't care what anybody says. That is the most amazing thing to me. That's amazing ministry. That's amazing love, the song says. That's, we were all adopted. We don't belong in the family. God, God adopted us. We were foster children. God adopted us. Unbelievable. James says, if you want pure religion. Now, do you think that the only way you can have pure religion is if you help widows and orphans? Is that really what James is saying? No. What James is saying is, pure religion is not worried about the glory ministries. It's worried about loving your brothers and sisters. It's about serving Christ in humility at whatever level. And I'll give you a little contrast. We're in Matthew 23, 1 to 13. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. This is what Jesus says. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. They make sure they get all their catechism right. They make sure they memorized a lot of text. But they're not doing a darn thing. You know what they're doing? They're busy virtual signaling at how holy and righteous they are. Hey, we do this, hashtag that. <laughs> yep, that's what it is. That's the culture today, right? You want to be, you know, you want to fit in. You're a Hollywood actor. Hey, hashtag me too. <laughs> But you're not doing anything. You're just, you're just making it look good. But they themselves are not... I love it. They themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. I mean, that sounds like something you could say right now. In our day and age, in Jesus, Jesus was relevant. Verse 5. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love to place 
the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in synagogues. Now, if you know what chapter 2 about is about in James, it's about the sin of impartiality. Important people get the important seats. The other people, you sit over there. You know, that's the very next text for James. Right after this, pure religion, the very next thing James says is, no sins of impartiality, folks. You think that was just like a coincidence? Now, if you, if, you, if you get stuck in chapters and verses, you know what you're going to do? End of chapter 1. Let's go to bed, folks. Tomorrow we'll start with chapter 2. And you'll go, and there's a heading that the, the editors put in. And I'm not faulting them. I get that they're trying to bring light to the motif of that moment. But if you just stop in chapter 1 and pick up chapter 2, I told you I was going to tease you with chapter 2, right? You'll say, oh, the sin of impartiality. Oh, wow, let's see what God has to say about that. That's interesting, too. No, 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 no. That's tied to pure religion. That's tied. See, you understand what I'm saying about flow now? Pure religion. No impartiality. Don't be... Listen. In the church world, I was in some glory ministries. I played drums in a big church. 7,000 people in that church. And we were on TV. Ooh. Ooh. Sometimes I played with the crusade team. And you know, all that's wonderful and has its place, I suppose. But when I went to Honduras and then came back, I was detached from that circumstance, and I'm I'm glad I was. And I went to another church, and my buddy who went to that other church with me, we all went to Bible college together, he was at another church now. And I went over there with him, uh, and I said, look, I'm just here to do whatever God wants me to do. You know, glory ministry. And And he was in the parking team. I said, I'm in. I'm going to do it. And that was one of the, my favorite jobs ever in a church, was to be part of the parking ministry. And I'm going to tell you, when you're in big churches, the parking people are the lowlifes. Because in churches, believe it or not, people work up the ladder. Like, they want to be in important ministries. And, like, if you're out in the parking lot doing, nobody will see you. Nobody, you don't get noticed. You don't get to do more important jobs. And if they need a golf cart, they're going to come take your golf cart because you're just the parking people. But let me tell you something. Parking ministry is probably one of the most important ministries in a church. Because you get visitors that want to park in a visitor spot, and then you've got the guy who comes every week who wants the visitor spot. And you've got to go up to that person with a loving smile and say, no, you can't park there, brother. No, no. it's a... and, and they're holy, and they're coming to church with that holy smile. And going, I don't want to park here. I... And you've got to go, no, brother, it's okay. Pastor wants us to park there. You understand that that's where the rubber meets the road? You understand that's where the doing is going on? And, and the people wanting to work their way up the ladder to get into them glory ministries, the important things. I'm going to run the soundboard. Ooh. Yeah, we're part of the media team. Ooh. Yeah, oh, we, we escort the guest speakers in and out of the building. Which actually, when you're on the parking ministry, you get to do that stuff. says, they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and be called rabbi by others. You know, it is kind of funny being an elder when people say, this is Elder Kyle. I'm like, and that's Santa Claus. You know, I'm just Kyle, you see. I understand. I'm not trying to say that there's not a, a, that's not an appropriate thing. People, you know, some churches they wear a collar so that you know. But you understand what I'm saying. 
But you are not called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor. The idea that Jesus is telling is, hey, look, you know, at the end of the day, there's nobody above somebody else. We're all learning. And the other part of that text is to remain unspotted from the world. Now, in the context James is talking about, to remain unspotted from the world, and pure religion is to help the humble, and not to show partiality, what do you think he's thinking about when he says to remain unstained from the world? Get rid of your pride, your pathetic worldly attitude, humble yourself, shut up and listen. I always taught my daughter never to say shut up to people. So that has a little bit of a punch when it comes out of my mouth. I always said, honey, we never say shut up. We say, be quiet. Because it's more polite and definitely more ladylike. So what, what is religion that is pure and undefiled? Well, it's quick to listen. It's slow to speak. That's what it looks like. You want to know what, you know, when someone says love your brother or sister... That's why we need examples. That's why we need elders and leaders and older brothers and sisters because we need to know what it looks like to love our brother and sister. We need to know what pure religion looks like. Well, I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like I'm quick to listen. It looks like I'm slow to speak. I'm slow to anger. It's sanctified. It's ridding ourselves of moral filth. It's meek. It's hearing and doing. It studies God's word and it perseveres in the truth. That's what pure religion looks like. And finally, it is a life lived before God the Father. The Imago Deo. You know, it says in the, at the end of uh, verse 27, it says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. You know, God, the Holy Spirit's not just wasting words here. You are not living before men like Pharisees. You are living before God the Father. And that is what we mean by the Imago Dei, before God. I don't care if there's nobody around for 100 miles. You're still living before God. You just are separated from your opportunities to show it, well, with others. You're still showing it with God. It's a 24-7 deal, guys. The Pharisees weren't living before God, were they? They were living before men. For the praise of God and not for the praise of men, for the glory of God and not one's own glory. As the Reformer said, soli deo gloria. Oh, I didn't bring my solo gloria shirt. Okay, so you won't see it if we fellowship. If life is a conversation, what is our life saying? Are we quick to listen and slow to speak? Are we listening primarily to the voice of God for our guidance so that we can hear more guidance from our brothers and sisters as we engage in the body of Christ and triangulate wisdom? Listening to the voice of God, not angrily kicking against the word of God and the providence of God, that is at work in our lives, all those trials of God's loving providence. 
Are we modeling the meekness necessary that receives the implanted word of God? And finally, are we demonstrating pure religion that humbly embraces not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law as well? Amen, brothers and sisters. We are in a conversation. In Romans chapter 1, you know what happens? God stops speaking. That's a bad place to be. When God stops speaking, the original language gives us the picture that God turns his back on people and leaves them to their own devices. Let us never be people who don't listen. Thankfully, we have a Heavenly Father who loves us enough to when we're not listening, he, he, he gives us a trial. I was telling Andy today, and this is one of my favorite little mottos about God, he is faithful and he's a faithful troublemaker. God is not running from trouble. God runs to trouble and uses it for his glory, for your sanctification, so that you may love one another and love him purely. Don't think the troubles are leaving. They're just changing shapes and forms. What changes is you. And instead of getting run over by the waves, you start learning to surf. Let's be listeners to the word of God today. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you for shouting into our lives, Lord, sometimes whispering. Thank you for getting our attention. Thank you for not letting us squander to our own devices and turning your backs on us, Lord. Thank you for shouting into our lives your voice of love, wisdom, grace, maturity. Thank you for never changing, for being that that one being in the universe who is not a shifting shadow. I pray, Lord, that we would learn to listen today, that we would learn to sit before you, as it says in, in your scripture, that when we come into the house of God, that we would have less to say, that we would close our mouths and listen. Speak into our lives, Lord. I thank you for the difficult times, for it is in those times that we learn in the house of sorrow so that we can rejoice all the louder in the house of myrrh and rejoicing. I ask you to bless the people of God today. Pray that you would implant your word deep into our heart with barbs that won't let it pull out. That we could grow in Christ, be more like you, glorify your name, and love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.